Hey guys, on today's pod I had on James Hollis of B-Ball Breakdown, a writer covering the Boston Celtics. James came on to discuss the Toronto Raptors' loss to the Celtics on Friday night, as well as just talk about this matchup in general. And you know, Obviously, Boston is going to be one of the biggest contenders for the Eastern Conference this year, and how the Raptors match up with them is super important. We got into that, talked about the Celtics this season as a whole, and just a couple different discussions on what it's going to take to win the East and which team is more likely to do that. We also talk about the NBA a little bit at the end and kind of general trends that we've seen thus far. Great pod overall. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Snotty Drippin', which is obviously a great NBA Twitter name, and read his stuff at B-Ball Breakdown. as usual and joining today to talk about the Boston Celtics in the most recent game is James Hollis. James, how's it going? Um, it's going pretty good now. It's going a lot better than <laughs> if Boston lost last night. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, you know, two losses early in the season. Things haven't exactly started off as planned for the Celtics. I don't, I'm not a big believer in freaking out this early in the season, but definitely a nice win for you guys last night. Yeah, I think my my uh, my intellectual brain always says, you know, give it about 20 games before you judge teams, and there's no reason to panic, and things can be wonky early in the season. But then as a fan, it was, you know, it, it was troubling watching the Celtics kind of splutter out the gates. Um, and, you know, as a fan, of course, there's a lot of egg on our face, as a collective fan base, because Celtics fans got a little cocky this summer. You know, there's the video of Kyrie and videos of Gordon Hayward working, we're out, and you know, Celtics reported they had the best, uh, the best preseason practices, these great spirited practices. So, um, you know, I, I guess there's a little more assembly required than we than we thought. But uh, last night was a very promising step in the right direction. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into last night. Was there anything that you saw that was encouraging from a Boston perspective in terms of last night that you were kind of watching for? Absolutely. Um, a lot more attacking, uh, and, and uh, not even like points at the rim, but the Celtics did a lot more driving. They've been settling a lot, and for a team that was as talented as them, they were taking a lot of long twos and just you know the first jumper that uh, that showed itself and letting teams off the hook. And last night they didn't do that. The ball moved a little better. They got into the lane, and uh, you know uh, of course Gordon Hayward played great, especially in the second half. That was a very promising thing because early in the season he looked you know he had time to look really bad. And, you know, the guy shattered his leg a year ago, so it's not a surprise, but it's good that, you know, he was really aggressive. Defensively, I think he was stout. He made a couple of really nice one-on-one plays that showed that he's getting more confidence in that leg. And, of course, Kyrie Irving just went supernova. Um, And compared to early in the season, that was just really good to see because, you know, he started off a little slow as he got back his legs back, and he's been really really good lately. And then last night he showed the full breadth of his his talents. Right. 
I still don't think Gordon Hayward's all the way back. You see, he still settles for that mid-range jumper when back in Utah, I believe that's attack more at the rim, and he was finishing around the rim more often than now he's kind of settling for that mid-range, but obviously that's something as he continues to work into the season, continues to feel more comfortable with that leg that he's working off of. Kyrie Irving last night was really, really efficient attacking the hoop. He finished everything around the basket, and he's always been one of those kind of sub-six-foot guys that finishes with all different kinds of weird angles and English off the glass and everything. But I was really shocked on last night just how easily he was able to attack the rim. I mean, uh, it's it's incredible. Right there with Steph Curry, we know Kyrie's probably, you know, I think he's the best little guy finisher in the league. Uh, people want to look at the numbers and say Steph Curry is, and that's fine. But the, my point is he's not just efficient, it's the fact that he can just get there at will. And that's where I think he differs from, differs from Steph. Because Steph, Steph can, you know, the threat of the shot, and, you know, he's quicker than people think, and Steph is stronger than people think. So he can get to the rim. But, like, Kyrie literally almost at will against any defender, any, you know, any two defenders, he's getting to the rim, and he's, he's throwing up one of those weird layups off high off the glass. So um, it's good to see him back. And I think early in the season it was more about a feeling out process, even though, you know, he, I, he was also getting his legs back. But now he's, he's seeing when to attack, and I think the rest of the team is getting comfortable with the fact that Kyrie might take 26, 27 shots, 28 shots. And it's, they're going to be okay with that because it's going to lead to things like last night. So um, all in all, the Celtics just seemed to be out of sorts earlier in the season. Like there was bad losses to Orlando, which doesn't look as bad now because Orlando's actually had some good wins now. But um, just, just, you know, that one and four road trip, it, it didn't look good at all. Um, they looked just out of sync. I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, but last night was just very promising because they looked a lot more like the Celtics of last season. Yeah, when you talk about Kyrie Irving taking 26 shots, as talented as that team is, I still think Kyrie Irving is unequivocally their most talented scorer. They might have guys who are a little more versed in doing everything well as far as Gordon Hayward, El Horford, but when you just talk about scoring the basketball, nobody on that team can do it like Kyrie Irving. Absolutely, and he does it to a level where um, I, I I think it, it was funny this summer there were pundits who were asking you know will Jason Tatum be the Celtics best player by the end of the year and uh, you know it, it, there's even discussion that Al Horford the Celtics best player and there's actually an argument for that Al does so much everywhere else but when you can score to, to the level that Kyrie does and he's been much better defensively it was another positive I saw last night Kyrie was really good on defense uh, not just poaching passing the passing lanes it's like his hands are snake quick and he was you know stripping guys going up. Uh, just really getting in there. Um, yeah, Kyrie is just such an elite scorer that, you know, it's almost like when people said that Powell was the best player on the uh, 2010 uh, Lakers championship team. Well, you can say that if you want, I guess, because, you know, you look at his win shares or whatever. But, no, Kobe was just he, – he's, he's such a force to reckon with uh, that he was – so that's how Kyrie is on this team. He just – he's such an elite level scorer that – yeah, it's incredible. He was he was amazing last night. Right. I, it's really easy to look at a player and say, well, he's better at scoring, rebounding, or I'm sorry, rebounding, passing, and defense, these things. But scoring is the most vital skill in this game still. And as we value players for other assets more than just points per game, and we've gotten smarter as fans, in a way we've kind of gone too far, I think, where we start to not value scoring as important as it is. Matt, what was your biggest takeaway from last night? Well, I think um, especially 
you know, James hit on a point that I really thought was important was that Kyrie's defense looked actually really, really good last night. He was very quick, uh, quick to defenders. And, uh, you know, in the past, sometimes teams would attack Kyrie a little bit and try to try to, um, uh, you know, get him in foul trouble or get him in situations where they could uh, uh, get a first step on him. And he looked really great, great last night. I also agree that um, the toolbox that Kyrie Irving has, especially when he does get near the hoop is just it, it, it's really extraordinary i mean his high his high arcs off the net as well or off the backboard as well or his ability to spin back i mean i think down the stretch there not before overtime but near the end of regulation there he he hit like three shots with three rafters in in his face and um and i mean he was just really extraordinary i think for the celtics um as well i, I it, Gordon Hayward, I mean, I mean, I mean, I give all the props to him, even though he's on 100% back. Like that is, that is a tough situation to be in, and a tough situation to just get over mentally. Um, that like, hey, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna come down, and um, and I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this is really the sort of direction that the team needed to go. I mean, credit to Brad Stevens as well. Um, I think that there's a little bit, you, you know, the, the Celtics had to rediscover themselves a little bit in many ways, and. And that's what good coaching does, right? And, and some excellent play calls down the stretch as well. Um, uh, Mike will know this, James, but I'm a very big Brad Stevens fan. I think he might be. Yeah, he, he's definitely in the top two, top three uh, coaches in the league, and 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 by far the best young coach in the league. And he he. I mean, if you can consider him young anymore, I mean, he's been around for a little while. But yeah, I just think that I I just think that the Celtics execution down the down the stretch was really the what was really the difference. In, and their ability to be able to um, really get in the face and play some really aggressive defense on the Raptors as well, which I think is uh, uh, a point of contention because the Raptors went a little ISO friendly again, which was you know shades of last year ISO friendly, and that and that allows you to be more aggressive and um, be more aggressive one on ones. So I just think the Celtics came in with a fantastic game plan and really and really played to their strengths, controlled the tempo to their strengths, to their strengths, and that led to the win. Right. What do you guys think about so far in the two games this season? It's been really defensive as far as, you know, not neither team's super offensively efficient. Do you think, James, do you think that carries into the playoffs? Absolutely. If these two teams match up, they're very, very similar. They have a lot of, uh, they're deep. They have a, uh, a lot of smart, talented, versatile guys. They both have uh, lead point guards who kind of control the action. Um Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is way better than anyone that's on the Celtics, but then you got guys like Tatum and Gordon Hayward and and uh, usually Jalen Brown. He wasn't good yesterday. He had a really bad game yesterday. Um, he started off hot and then uh, yeah, I, I worry about Jalen in the long term just because of how his fit is. Um, but then at the same token, uh, your boy uh, uh, Kyle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kyle had yeah. A bad game. Well, he had a bad game for the for the most part. He had some nice shots, some big shots late. Um, but yeah, they're they're very similar. They're both excellently coached teams. Uh, you know, long, versatile, can switch. It's it's there's 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 gonna be little separation all season. And right now, of course, the Raptors have the advantage record record wise. But if these teams make the playoffs. It's gonna be a, you know, they're both they're both so well prepared. They're gonna be ready for every counter. They're gonna be ready for every. Everything. So, um, you know, hopefully Brad Stevens is keeping a couple things in the in the back pocket that he can unleash in the playoffs. Because as of right now, yeah, this, this it'll be a dogfight. What do you think has happened to Al Horford in these two games so far? Serge Ibaka is pretty handedly 
outperformed Al Horford. Is that something you're worried about, or do you think that's just kind of a two-game stretch and there's not much to worry about long-term with that? Um, I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I think we're seeing things from Serge we don't normally see, and which is good. Good for good on Serge. Like, he hit a couple running hooks yesterday. Um, he's a lot more decisive, um, attacking off the bounce. And, like, he's, yeah, so in, in, as he's aged, he's obviously gotten better. And this is, like, he's toward probably the tail end of his prime right now, right? And he's 28, 29. Yeah, um, older 20s. Yeah. Right, so he's really looked like he was impressive. Um, he's he just seems a lot more confident in Toronto and a lot more, uh, a lot more like the guy people wanted him to be his whole career, right? So I think it's a case of that. Um, he's I, I still hey, I'm not worried about Al Horford. Al, we know that regular season Al and playoff are two different things, and no, like Serge is tip your cap to him. He, you know he took it, he's taken it to Al the last couple of games, these last two games, but. I, I, I'll go with their track record overall, and I wouldn't really stress it too much. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, something I wrote about earlier in the season is, for Serge, I think it's less of what he's doing as far as what he's doing differently and more the role that he's in. He's playing center exclusively this season, and it's really kind of changed his game and allowed him to play around the basket and match up with guys like Al Horford as opposed to matching up with guys like Jason Tatum, where it's obviously much more difficult Matt, on the flip side, are you worried at all by the fact that JV is only able to play against Aaron Baines and really JV's being reduced to an Aaron Baines type role? I mean, I mean, I think this has been a concern that, uh, you know, James, just for your context, me and Mike have been talking about for a while. Um, it is very concerning. And I mean, even when uh, Baca fouled out there and JV was in, right, like Al was able to move a lot more freely around 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 the court and everything and i think it is i think it is very concerning because jv is a very big piece for this team and i mean i mean to be honest with you i mike i don't know about your i don't know what you feel about this but jv's overall game yesterday i wasn't very impressed by i think that you know while baines is very strong as well jv jv should be able to use his heights to his to more so his advantage and he kept on fading away and taking some bad shots uh, as well i mean I, I mean it's concerning i mean thankfully abaka is playing like out of it like like really well right and is like a man reborn almost in many ways that i think it offsets a, it offsets my concern a little bit because especially since abaka has been very efficient as well with the ball but long term uh, it is a little concerning that they don't have a other versatile four, four, five now uh, sort of guy besides Surge, and that they have to rely on Greg Monroe or JV to provide those backup minutes. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, to your point, he did have 11 points. I thought it, it just didn't seem like it was in the flow of the offense. He's taking those post ups where he gets the ball 12 yeah. feet away from the hoop. Like that's not a post up if you're getting the ball that far out. And I. To me, I think it's JV six, Aaron Baines a half dozen. Like, there's not much as far as I'm concerned. There's a difference between the two teams. The biggest difference is the fact that the Celtics are getting that production for what is it, James? Four million, five million, as opposed to sixteen. Yeah, like that's a great, that's a steal of a deal for Baines. And uh, JV's the better offensive player, obviously, but uh, the fact that Baines and Horford can neutralize him—that's, I mean, hey, they they did a good job of containing. Joel Embiid, you know, this their brute strength and their how smart they are on defense just it nullifies uh, 
your boy JV's biggest advantage, which he just he's just huge and he's strong. <laughs> but um, yeah, he, he, it, and you know, I'm not a fan of players. I'm not really a fan of players like that. Uh, him and him and Vucevic, they're, they're different, but they're just you know they're just huge and kind of slow footed and throwback, but so talented. They're actually skilled enough where they can they can carve a niche out for niche out for themselves. So, um, from my from my view of it, it's like. I know he's a big part of what Toronto does, but against, and I think uh, <clears throat> your new coach is going to do this as the season goes on, especially against the Celtics. He'll realize, you know, that he has to reduce JV's role against Boston. Um, so yeah, man, it's a really good win for the Celtics. Uh, it'll be interesting seeing the next matchup, how you know how they deployed uh, Valencia Valencia Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Aaron Baines is one of those players I just. I think of Aaron Baines as a certain way, and then every time I watch him, he kind of impresses me. Another guy like that is Marcus Morris. What's been going on with him this season? He's your guy's third leading scorer, and, you know, he was excellent again, I thought, against the Raptors. He absolutely – you know what? Without Marcus Morris, this team would probably be under 500 right now because he had some games earlier in the season where he was – him and uh, like him and one other guy would be the only guys carrying the offense. So he was – he's been incredible. He's dialed in from three. He's uh he's cut down a little bit of you know he's gonna be ISO Mook his whole career but he's cut that down a little bit he's more he's, he's a lot more assertive where he's just catching going or he's uh he's he's fine with the catch and shoot um, defensively he's been locked in we saw in the playoffs you know he did a, a good a job I guess you could do against LeBron James and other guys so it was good to, he, he carried that over to this season where he's really taken like pride in his defense he's been indispensable um, and you know on that cheap deal this is last year. He knows what the Celtics are playing for. Um, it, it's I, I don't know what to say about Mook. So um, yeah, he just he's they got to milk it for all they can because, like I said, guys like uh, Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier are kind of scuffling a bit. So he's he's really he's really made those those guys' struggles uh, palatable. Yeah, he was someone I talked with uh, Alex Kanyu earlier in the season. We did a Celtics preview and we talked about kind of the Celtics and they're so close to that tax line and are they able to able to get under and I think we kind of tentatively agreed that there was a good chance that Marcus Morris got dealt because his deal kind of makes room for them there's no way they can deal him now at this point the way he's playing um I, the flip side of that is Terry Rozier Terry Rozier is you know after having a breakout playoffs has been terrible do you think that's something that is there a long-term concern there or is this more of just wait for Terry to kind of find his rhythm um, again, like, you know, and it's funny because we talk about these things. I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, Terry's really been struggling. It's been like 15, 16 games, you know, like, um, it's kind of like Pandora's box was open last season. And I, I, they got all the young guys, Jalen, Jason, and Terry Rozier got all these minutes and they got to kind of do whatever they need because they had to. Right. And now they're being asked to go back into complimentary roles and it's, yeah, they're struggling with it a bit. Just because I think, like Rozier showed, he's kind of a rhythm player. Same thing with Jalen Brown; they're rhythm players, right? They they might miss a couple early, but once they see a couple go in, they can really take off. Well, they don't have that luxury this year, right? They miss a couple early, and then they'll go get set down, and then they'll come back in, miss a couple more, and then that, that's the end of the game because they're they're, they're playing 15, 20, 25 minutes instead of 30, 35 minutes. So, um, I'm not concerned about Terry Rozier. I think last season, and a pretty decent sample size, I think he started like 30, 30 plus games at the end of the year, and then plus the playoffs. He's shown what he can do. Um, I do believe free agency is kind of looming in his head for him. 
Uh, and, you know, it's always going to be a distraction. People say it's not. It is. He knows that, you know, he, he's, he wants to perform well, not just for the Celtics this year, but because he has a, he has a big summer next summer. Um, so I think but as the season goes on, he'll settle in. Uh, you know, it's just basketball. It, it, that's what they've been doing, like, most of their lives. So I, I think he'll be fine. I'm not concerned because, again, Boston is just so deep. So I'm not concerned for the health of the team. But I like Rozier, so I want to see him do well. So I'm not too concerned. I do think there is something to certain players play better with more minutes, and some don't necessarily need that. For example, if you play Kyle Korver 12 minutes a night or if you play him 22, it seems like he's always going to do what Kyle Korver does, you know, run off screens and hit threes. Does it worry you perhaps that Terry is someone who kind of needs more minutes to play or maybe he struggles if he isn't getting consistent time, which will be hard to find this season? I'm, I worry about that more with Jalen Brown. Uh, oh, Jalen Brown. Really? Yeah, because Jalen's the one who's, you know, meant to be a piece moving forward, number three pick. And he really seems to be struggling uh, in a, in his reduced role this year where, sure, he was great against Chicago, the Bulls. But, like, you know, last night, if he if he plays better, it's, you know, the game is not the struggle that it is. And he just, yeah, I, I either he's – too confident and he's going to he's too aggressive or he plays too passively and he's he's having a real trouble finding his sweet spot of of just how to kind of fit in um so that kind of that worries me more than terry i think no rozier still comes in plays great defense he's still hitting he's still hitting the three at a nice clip um his shot's not really falling and he still you know struggles about when to attack and when to play make but that's fine that's just who he is um so yeah i'm way more more worried and about Jalen than I am about Terry right now. Last night you guys had, you guys played nine people, Bain, Smart, Rozier, Morris, along with the starting five. Is that kind of been the nine that Stevens has stuck with as far as everyone being healthy this season? Or has he kind of mixed in Ojale and Tice in there a little bit? Yeah, he gives Ojale and Tice, uh, you know, spot minutes. Uh, like, you know, when Morris was out, they both played a little bit. And both those guys deserve to play. And I think we'll see it throughout the season, right? They'll, they'll go games. Like, like, last night, obviously, we saw the Celtics' core rotation, and that was good. I like the fact that, that Brad Stevens took it as a, this. we're going to see what who we really are, and this this is how our best effective lineup. But, yeah, for the regular season, uh, Ojale and, and Tyus definitely uh you know, they're, again, certain it's all about matchup, matchups, right? Certain matchups, they'll both get a lot of run. Ojale can guard three through five, and so we'll see him. You know, if there's there's a maybe not a not a banging big man, we'll see probably more Ojale and Tice versus uh, Baines at some games. So it's it's very uh, Stevens. I remember Isaiah Thomas uh, when he was still on Boston, famously like complaining like in February or March, hey, we should have our our lineups by now. What are these rotations like to the to the to the press, and that's what Brad Stevens does. He uses the regular season very much as a lab to try out a lot of different stuff. Right. That's that's kind of the smart approach. We've seen that with Pop and San Antonio for forever now, right, where he does these weird, wonky lineups that you don't think will work, but he's just using the 82 games to figure out, well, why not try it for a stretch, see if it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's a regular season loss as opposed to worrying about maximizing the team's potential to win every game. He's using the regular season to figure out what works best on his team. Exactly that, man. Like, you know, just little things, again, putting his back pocket to say, to, to say, okay, even if it's a five-minute stretch and just against a certain opponent, he'll know how that lineup works against, you know, all right, well, this Ojale at center worked against this guy. So that, that'll, you know, in the playoffs, if we have a similar situation, 
I won't be scared to throw them out there. And it shows, you know, it gives those guys confidence too. You got to keep them. Another thing, it keeps them engaged, right? You don't want to just play nine guys and the, your bench is just your bench sitting there and and you know you can you can lose guys that way, no matter how good of a culture it is. So you know the guys want to get on the court. They want to feel like they're part of the team. Matt, for the Raptors, we saw only nine people play last night. That's been a different approach than uh, nurses kind of taken throughout the season. Obviously, the Raptors have been hit with some hard injuries. Now with the injuries, do you think that we'll see more Malachi Richardson, more Greg Monroe, et cetera? I think, I think you have to. Um, I mean, they have a little bit of an easier, quote-unquote, easier stretch coming up. Uh Bulls, Bulls you don't have today, to quotes. It's an easier stretch. Stretch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is an easier stretch, but I mean, even James was saying, like, you know, the Magic have been playing pretty well recently, and and you know, I think I, I think you have to because especially on uh, on the wings, right? They've been hit with some hard injuries. We got Norman Powell out. We got um, CJ Miles out, and and you know, I had the sound turned way down, and I didn't even hear about the OG. I don't think they mentioned it on the broadcast because I – so I had to watch the game. I watched it at 3 a.m. this morning. I didn't get to watch it live. I watched it on League Pass. And I – so I didn't want to check Twitter because I didn't want to know the results. And I was screaming on my couch to put OG in. So I don't think it was mentioned. Oh, okay. And and were were you watching – so if you watch it on League Pass, that means you were watching – It was ESPN broadcast. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. It was ESPN broadcast. Okay. Yeah, because, um, I mean, obviously in Canada we watched the Canadian – um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think it was mentioned there either. And uh, and so, yeah, I was, of course, screaming, where the, where, where where is OG? And, I mean, that's a big hit, right? Like, OG, I think, is a really it, – it, it, it's, it's unfortunate for him because he just starts to get going and gets into the flow, and then he's injured, right? And then, I mean, obviously, of course, the, the, the unfortunate thing with his family to start the season was – it was, I mean, what can you do? It is what it is. But uh, this is a, I, I think this is a major setback for the team, uh, to be honest with you, over the next little stretch because Kawhi, much like Gordon Hayward, is still finding his body. It feels like he's getting there, I think, a little bit more over time. We were seeing him being much more aggressive than he was. But Kawhi also can't carry every single minute, especially over stretches where you play the Bulls, Magic, Hawks, and Wizards and Heat. Uh, and Grizzlies, uh, you know, he, he, you know, those are typically areas where you'd want to perhaps reduce minutes just slightly for your uh, for your heavy hitters, and they can't do that now. So I think you've got to see a, a, you're going to see a little bit more of Malachi Richardson. You're going to see again even more creative matchups as well. I think uh, I think you know this is also a really good time going back to the experimentation with Brad Stevens. If Nick Nurse is as experimental as he can be then we should be seeing some other lineups. I heard a proposed lineup from Nick Nurse the other day of, uh, I think it was, Dan- well, of course it doesn't work now because OG's not there, but Danny Green, Kawhi, OG, um, uh, and like two other people that weren't Serge Ibaka or, or JV, and I don't know. But like, but like you're going to have to see those sorts of things because of, the, because of the injuries that the Raptors have sustained. So I think over this next stretch you're really going to see what the Raptors are made of because they have had to already endure some injuries. And, and this is different for the team as a whole as a team that's been relatively healthy over the past many seasons. So how they navigate that will be interesting to see. Yeah. It's, so, it's, hey, hey, you guys, you guys catch me up to speed real quick. I, I was just thinking the same thing. I saw OG, you know, we didn't see him late in the game. He only played nine minutes. What happened to OG? Uh, Apparently spring Brits. Oh. So he's questionable for tonight. It doesn't appear to be too serious. And, from what I understand, but yeah, he had where he kind of fell there. He had a collision with, I believe it was with Baines, 
that it happened. Yeah, yeah he hurt yeah. he hurt his wrist, and that's why he didn't enter back into the game. Got it. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I want I I'm I'm really interested in this like coaching duel that was going on. I definitely I definitely feel that. Uh, uh, Brad Stevens won 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 this round. I think the Celtics' execution down the stretch was really good. And uh, Mike, I don't know I, I don't know what your opinion is on the execution of the Raptors down the stretch, but uh, the Celtics just certainly outplayed them uh, uh, near the end. Right. It was something I will give Nurse the credit. He went to that two three zone in the first half, which seemed to really stifle the Celtics for a little bit and help the Raptors. You know, the Boston was up thirteen there, and then. A, that 2-3 zone kind of put the Raptors back in it and got it to a two-point game by half. As far as down the stretch, it seems like the Raptors got pretty unimaginative and kind of ran the same sets that they've been running while the Celtics executed more things down the stretch. It was something where I'm just always impressed by the Celtics' late-game execution. They're really good in close games, in my opinion. And a lot of that has to do with just Kyrie Irving and how good he is as a one-on-one scorer. It makes everything way easier. Yeah, that's not, that's not no, an opinion. Coach, that's just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Jim. Sorry, I was going to say you go ahead. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, yeah, that's not an opinion, man. That's a, that's a fact. Like, they get really good shots in the clutch. They're, they shoot well because, uh, like you said, they execute. They, they trust what Brad Stevens is implementing. He'll call, you know, he's one of the best at, uh, after timeout uh you know, play calling and, and execution. So that's um it's one of his hallmarks. And it, it's, you know, hey, we it's the same thing with the, those comebacks, right? They're, they're, it shouldn't You shouldn't be down that big in the first place, but the fact is no team has come back from, like, double-digit leads to actually win games, probably more than Boston in the last two or three seasons. And so uh, it's a good thing, but it's also frustrating because, yeah, why are you down in the first place? Right, and James, correct me if I'm wrong, Boston – they played very good in the clutch last season as well, right? I believe that their record kind of out outperformed their net rating. Is that not correct? Uh, no, you're absolutely correct. Um, yeah, it, like it's if you look at their their the top the amount of times they've been in clutch situations, they they definitely play, you know they outperformed what what was to be expected. So um, it's 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 fun. It's the heart attack kid team, but. Uh, <laughs> A lot of credit to Brad Stevens for that. I'm with you guys. I'm a I'm a real big Brad Stevens proponent. It's really odd how there's been pushback against him from some of the uh, I guess the, like the NBA intelligentsia who are just like, oh well, he has to prove something first. I'm like, just watch these games, man. Look how this team played before Kyrie and Gordon and everything. They, they, they you know he's a good coach. He's a great coach. Yeah, coaches in a in a way, Brad Stevens' arc here has kind of been similar to. A player's arc where we love you for so much and then for some reason we have to turn on you and hate on you. You know, it's like every good player that we see for a while that the league is in love with Joel Embiid and then all of a sudden there's a pushback where people want to hate on him. I think you just kind of saw a similar thing with Brad Stevens where people said, yeah, he hasn't got to an NBA Finals, but like you said, just watch the games. I mean, that team that he took Cleveland to seven games last year, they were playing with the shell of their roster and still almost made the NBA Finals. Yeah, and there are people who will say, well, but, you know, look look how they played in Game 7. And, well, it was just it was LeBron James, a bunch of bums. But, like, it's not – which one is it, right? It's still yeah. LeBron James, and it's still – so um, it's even weird how some other coaches kind of push back against Brad Steven, right? When, when you see how they vote in in, uh, in the coaches of the year stuff and in different polls. Um, and I, that's something uh, I'll be interested to find out more, you know, as, as time goes on or maybe after his time is gone, why – he seems to kind of be at odds with even even the, the coaching fraternity. So yeah, that was, it's fine. 
that was a weird thing where you saw last year where I understand the Raptors had this success that many didn't see out of them coming into the season, but Dwayne Casey won Coach of the Year. Is there really anyone who thinks that Dwayne Casey is a better coach than Brad Stevens? Like, I would be hard-pressed if, if you really press someone that they would say they would rather have Dwayne Casey as their head coach than Brad Stevens. Not that Dwayne Casey is a bad coach, but, I mean, come on. Let's just use common sense here, it felt like. Yeah, and then they even had, like, the coaches poll where they, even they, you know, no, it's, it's, it's a really strange thing. And I wonder if maybe he just doesn't go with a lot of the coaching norms and traditions where – you know, I think there's a lot of things obviously behind the scenes we don't know that yeah. in the coaching that goes on. Maybe he doesn't subscribe to them, and maybe he's uh he's just kind of like a persona non grata. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a really strange thing. Maybe he's just a jerk. I don't know. He seems like a nice guy to me, but maybe he's just <laughs> uh, James. Watching, kind of turning back to last night, watching the game. Is there anything that Toronto does that really worries you? as far from a Boston perspective where you're like, wow, if they can continue to do that for a seven-game series, we'll be in trouble? Um, again, the teams are very similar, and I, do, I am concerned because, simply simply put, they have Kawhi Leonard and they have Pascal Siakam. Like, I was, I've heard about Pascal's Im- improvement uh, this summer. You know, I read about how he'd really been working. I, saw the, I even saw the videos of his, 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 uh, his summer runs. To see him in the game, he is really good, man. He's really, really good. And um, he's, you know, again, it's all about versatility in the NBA now. If you have wings who can do a lot of stuff, and he's one of those guys. You know, he, what is he, 6'9"? He can handle the ball a little bit. He's showing he can he's, – he's being uh, – he's attacking off the dribble, which I didn't think he'd have in his bag this summer, this year. Uh, so, yeah, between him and Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is just next level. And if, if this – like you said, he's still finding himself, that's terrifying because last night he's like – Hey, if you 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 have the basketball around Kawhi Leonard and and you blink, he's stealing it. It's it's incredible. His his off ball instincts uh, is, are just insane. His wingspan is just insane. And then you know he's hitting these. I know they're long twos and you don't like to see it, but he's just so good. He's he's, he's so good, man. He he really is like a basketball playing machine. So um, I and speaking of that one on one play we saw from him a lot last night. I'm, is that and I'm asking both of you guys. Is this do you think that's a function of Toronto really wants him to stay, so they they probably give him a little more one on one isos than that's probably that's probably good for right now. But they want to keep him engaged and happy, and I do think that uh, you know we, we saw him as a, in a system. He's fine running the system and that he run in the Spurs, but maybe that was part of the problem. So they're giving him a lot of freedom, and maybe as the season goes on, though, a lot of those just dribble up, you know, one on one plays. You can you you'll be able to convince him, hey, you know, show him the film. We can get you a better look if we run this. You know, we better look that you just bring the ball up against a set defense. Let's 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 run you off the ball and get you in the post. And, and I'm pretty sure he'll be fine with that. And and that's the scary part that there's so much more they can do with Kawhi, and it's just being unlocked. So yeah, Kawhi and Pascal Siakam that they're they're a dynamic for formidable duo. I would agree with that to some extent. I I believe that the ISO is a way to just here we can throw him the ball, let him go get his. It keeps him keeps him happy as far as getting his touches and it's a way to put a surefire kind of get him a surefire amount of attempts each game because he's so talented that you do want him to take those attempts. He's also a pretty good isolation player. He, one of the things is everybody thinks about the system in San Antonio, but he did take a lot of isos there. So I think a lot of it is what you talked about. And hopefully as the season goes on, you still have those isolations 
but they're kind of isolations after actions where you're getting a kind of either an advantage as far as someone guarding him or you at least have someone running out to him and he gets to work at a closeout rather than just a standstill ISO. Matt, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think I think that was kind of the problem. My problem with it is that you could run off-ball action with him, like James was saying, to get him in a much better position, right? Like, he loves those positions around the elbow, positions around uh, around the paint as well, uh, and, and on the blocks there. And that's where he's most... That that's where he can be most effective in those isolation situations. It's, you know, I think the reason why the isolation gets so much hate these days is because if you if if you just run an isolation right, you you the clock goes down to eight seconds, and then the whomever the player is just makes their move right, and then it's just it, it, it's almost like it's almost like playing roulette in many ways right. Like you're either going to get the advantage or you're not, and then you have to take a bad shot anyway right. Wouldn't it be better to try to run some action? If it doesn't work, then get it into the paint, and then and then that's what that's what you have to do. But at least you tried to get the the uh, that shot off, um, a, a better shot off, or try to find some sort of open shot, depending on what you need, a two or a three or whatever. Um, for me, I think uh, James is also 100% correct. I think I felt like that end of the game kind of felt a little like Kawhi was saying, "Hey, I screwed up the game against the Pistons where I dribbled it off my foot out of bounds, and you know I had." I had position. I had position on my man, and I just dribbled it out of bounds by accident. I want to get it back, and um, you know, I know uh, neither of you guys are in Toronto, but we really want him to stay. Uh, you know, his face is is plastered everywhere uh, around here, and um, you know, he's in a lot of like Canadian specific commercials and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it also did feel a little bit like that, James. I agree with you, and I mean, if that keeps him more bought in and more um, and more energetic, you know, I think. Uh, I think from a Kawhi staying perspective, that's because that's always such a hot topic. You can really see him getting more and more bought in every game, finding different players um, for you know kickouts and stuff. A lot, a lot of the early season stuff was either to Lowry or to Danny Green because those were the two people that made him the most comfortable. But like right. James said, like James said, you know, James, you're cor- exactly correct. I think Siakam's a perfect running mate for uh, Kawhi just because he complements his game so well with such high energy and such high defense. So. Uh, yeah, that you know, you know. I hope, I hope you guys, I hope we're both right. As the season goes on, we find more creative ways to get Kawhi the ball. Uh, even though, even though, yes, he is an ISO player and it's fantastic in ISO situations, right? Sometimes you do want to see a little bit more execution down the stretch because getting an easy basket in the um, uh, in a close game like that is such a momentum killer for the defensive team more so than just an isolation shot that happened to go in. I will say this: If OG played more than nine minutes last night, uh, Toronto probably, probably, probably they probably win that game because OG and Anobi's a different banker. He he'd have been a disruptor in there. So, um, you know, hey, injury, a little injuries happen. Hopefully, OG's uh, you know back up and running really quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm I'll be honest. I'm glad he didn't play against Boston. I, mean, <laughs> I got to be honest, right? I'm, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, you Boston people, you don't know what it's like to have injuries really derail a team. So. <laughs> I'm I, I'm interested, James. What do you think? Uh, has to be done because because I was like I was I'm a big Jalen Brown fan. I really like his game and I uh, was really impressed with him all of last season. What do you think uh, has to be done for him to really find his way back into the team a little bit? Because I will agree with you, he he seemed like the piece that was out of place even last night when we were watching. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, maybe maybe you let him get more run with the second units where he can just kind of do his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it, it, I think they've been they've been going a little more with I think Gordon Hayward's second unit and letting him because he's much more of a natural you know passer and playmaker. But yeah, maybe you just let him attack more second units. It's all about rhythm and confidence with him. You can just you can just almost see it. You know, um, he's always going to exude on his face outwardly going to exude the right stuff. But you can just yeah, the, just the confidence because he can get to the hole anytime he wants. He's actually a, 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 you know he showed last year he has a nice shooting touch and it's just not dropping for him right now and. Every miss feels like it just like his shoulders might slump just a little bit more. So um, I, I, I trust Brad Stevens to get in there and 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 you know positive reinforcement, um, encourage him to really play defense because when if he's if he's defending well, it seems that that also sparks his confidence. So encourage him just to really uh, lock in defensively. That's where they need him more than anything, right? And show him, hey, the offense will come. Just just keep telling him the offense will come. We just need you out there playing hard defending. And um, like last night, it was like it was really curious. I think the announcers even talked about how at the end of the you know in, in winning time, it was Morris out there and not Jalen Brown. And that's just they the Celtics just have to you know keep encouraging them, explaining them, hey, we we wanted to get this win. Morris had it going. We are our guy going forward. You know that. So um, it'll be interesting to see you know at, at, at game thirty how he looks versus right now. Yeah. Was was it a little surprising that they didn't keep him in down the stretch? I always kind of am shocked by that as far as just maybe it's not the right basketball play, but just from a team chemistry perspective that you kind of want to show him, you're almost signaling to him, hey, you matter to us. We're going to keep you in the late time crunch situations. Um, I will say this. Brad Stevens has always done this where and he says it, right? He goes, hey, if you're not performing, then you're not going to play. And and that's that's what these guys, they all know it. They say it. They say it themselves that they respect that about Brad. It's not about it's nothing personal. It's not they don't like you. If if you're not if you're not putting in the work and you're not being effective, you're not going you're going to sit. You know, um, I'm pretty sure, you know, we wink, wink. Like there's no way Kyrie sits if he's <laughs> he could be three, three for 15 late in the game. He'll be in the game unless again, hey, if Rozier has it going. That's that's how kind of Celtics have how they've been. Say Rozier's having a great game, and Kyrie's not. Kyrie, he'll be over there on the bench cheering. Um, and that's that's a credit to Brad Stevens. Now, will that be something uh, that's an issue moving forward? It, so far, it hasn't been, and that'll be interesting to see because like these guys, they they really feel like they earned it last season. They they really kind of came to their own. Uh, but they still have a way to go. You know, Jalen Brown still only what twenty one. So um, yeah, it, it was it was surprising, and like you guys, I, like I was like, huh. How's he, how's this going to sit going forward? But I mean, the, the Celtics seem to genuinely enjoy each other. They enjoy each other's success. I don't think it'll be a problem. And, hey, Mook, Mook has it going right now. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm the I'm, the fan of me is just saying it'll be fine. Uh, kind of just switching away from the Celtics. Obviously, you're a big NBA fan in general. What was your thoughts on the Sixers trade? Um, <clears throat> the Sixers trade. All right, so you the Sixers make that move ten times out of ten. Uh, I think we all see that they they still have a talented duo you know, before the trade, but they're they're missing something, right? They needed more, obviously. Uh, Sarich hasn't been playing great. Uh, we know that Covington provides you know the three and D, but it was obvious they needed something else to kind of launch themselves in that upper echelon. Now, to me, they need more shooting. They just need more shooting. Uh, JJ Reddick's great. That, that uh, Landry Shamet seems like he's going to be a player, but they need they just need more. Since Ilyasova and Bellinelli have been gone, they just you know they just need more shooting around those uh, around Simmons and Embiid. So it's a clunky fit because uh, uh, Jimmy Butler does a lot. He, he got there's a lot of overlap. You know he's not really a shooter. He wants the ball in his hands. He wants to create. But we see that he he can play off ball fine. 
it's just they still need more shooting. And, you know, um, Simmons just seems to be struggling a little bit with him there. Not struggling, but he, you know, he had to, he had to have him to seed control a little bit, give that ball up. So um, it's it's definitely a good move, talent-wise, you know, you, on paper. And B, Butler, and Simmons sounds great. But their biggest thing, again, they still need more shooting, and, and Simmons has to find a jump shot. Or that the ceiling of this team is, is just a lot lower than it would be. Just the semblance of one. Just take a shot. Right. He's, you know, just... If he can improve to that kind of... Even if it's the Giannis level, if I can shoot 17-footers and... If you leave me absolutely wide open, I'll shoot threes. It doesn't need to be a real threat. It just needs to be somewhat of a make you think about it, you know? Right. So so back to the the, the original question about the trade. Um, yeah, they, they had to make that move. Uh, it's it, They're shifting definitely out of, hey, we're the young, fun team into we want to be contenders mode. Uh, they, it, it really cripples their depth, obviously. Uh, two starters for one guy, and they already were kind of thin on the wings. Uh Hey, Jimmy Butler's a horse. They're gonna ride him, I guess. They're gonna play him a lot of minutes. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. That, that that Philly team, and he, it's funny. I listened to our guy Spike Eskin over uh, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Even they are they're cautiously optimistic, but they, they don't seem to be really happy with it either. And then you're gonna pay Jimmy Butler at the end of the year. Are you gonna pay him a max deal? It's gonna be interesting to see. So, uh, Philly's gonna be a one of the more intriguing stories all all year. Right. It's to me it's a it's a downgrade and fit for a big enough upgrade in talent that you just make the deal. So even if it doesn't quite fit as smoothly as it did before, you just have so much more talent you have to make that decision and like you said, it will take a little bit away from what Ben Simmons does. They're they're light on shooting, as you pointed out. JJ Raddick probably just looks at every single time they lose a little shooting, gets a little bit happier about his bank account <laughs> because they need him you know, to play, I mean, he'll have to play near 30 minutes per game for this team. Wow. It's a lot to ask from an older guy there. Uh, any last things about the NBA you want to kind of talk about before you get going? Uh, I, I, I want to be one of the guys. I was uh, very hesitant about Luka Doncic. Not, I didn't, I wasn't a doubter, but I was like, oh, let's see how he goes against NBA, uh, NBA level athleticism. And I will say, well, Checking the box. That kid's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, where he got Gobert there on that no look was nasty. Oh. So Yeah, he, he's awesome. Uh, a lot of the rookies, Trey Young has been better than I think a little bit people thought. Even Bagley has shown been a nice surprise off the bench in Sacramento. So uh, it's pretty, been a good rookie class. Uh, anything else to talk about? Uh, to, to, oh, let's, let's, let's give a shout-out to the Thunder. For the first time in years, they have a, they're a net positive when Russ Westbrook's down on the floor. They're, they're not just hemorrhaging points without Russ. And even without Andre Robeson, they're like a, a really good defense. So uh, they might be somebody to watch when Russ gets back and, and Robeson gets back on the court in the in the West. Yeah, talking about Trey Young, I was a little skeptical about him coming in as far as how he would translate. He's been way better than I thought. He's just he's a lot better passer than I ever remember watching in Oklahoma. And I didn't granted I didn't watch very much of him, but you know he's been spectacular. This is two rookie classes in a row that I think are really impressive. When you talk about last year's class, which was absolutely stacked and very deep, and then you add in this year's class, it's it's a lot as far as a lot of young talent in the league. Um, guys, follow him on Twitter at Snotty Drippin. One of the top, I would say, one of the top three uh, NBA Twitter names. Read his newest piece, <laughs> UpAndUnder.net, the Pulse, Boston Celtics. Anything else that you want to put? Dunk, dunk tails. I'm not feeling bad for you out on the West Coast. If you have to wake up a little bit earlier, I think it's worth it to not be in 
snow in Matt's case and freezing cold for mine. So. Uh, yeah, I'm putting on my basketball shorts and my tank top to take my dog out for a walk right now. Uh, dude, I have to walk my dog and put on boots and coats and hats and scarves and oh, ew, gross. <laughs> What's that like? That's horrible. Honestly, uh, uh, you know, honestly, I feel I always feel bad for the dogs because like people at like they'll throw salt that's not like pos safe on uh, on, on uh, like the sidewalk and stuff, right? So really? so. Yes, yeah. So, 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 uh, Mike, I don't know if you do this with your dogs, but when I when I come home from the walk, I always have to pick up their paws and like just like just check to make sure there's no salt stuck in them because salt could get stuck in there and cut them or anything like that. So it's it's probably the worst part of 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 winter is the actual dogs. Like walking in the snow sucks and it's cold, but it like from a dog's perspective, that's the worst part. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming on. I didn't expect to talk about salt and how it affects dogs pause but it's a good time thanks guys